Kevin said I could just preach from the back today if I wanted to. I didn't even have to come up the front, but... So today I'm going to be sitting in the chair. Ooh. So many of you know my parents came and visited this last week, and while we were gallivanting around Washington, uh, I had many cups of coffee but uh, no water. And then on Wednesday I joined Jared for a work day out at Camp Lummy, and uh, uh, he didn't let me drink water, he was working me too hard. Uh, and so on Wednesday night, I was very, very sick, um, uh, throwing up all over the place. And I was still no better on Thursday, so I went to the doctor on Friday, and my doctor diagnosed me with uh, dehydration. So I don't have a lot of energy at the moment, and uh, playing the guitar took out a lot more than it normally does. So I'm going to be sitting, uh, if you can forgive me for that. I know I'm normally animated and jumping up and down like a jackrabbit, but... Today I'm going to be sitting, which is good for you, because it usually means that I stick to my notes more thoroughly, but it's bad for you because it means my brain right now isn't disciplined enough not to go down rabbit trails. So, it could work out really well, it could work out really bad, but strap in. And I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ruth, chapter 4, where we're going to be finishing the book of Ruth today. Uh, It's four chapters, it's a very short book. I want to let you know the reason why we're actually studying the book of Ruth. It's because a member of our congregation, not going to call them out by name, but they said to me, you know what, I've never, you know, no one's ever preached through the book of Ruth and I want to know more about it. And so I I did some study and thought it would make a nice sort of into the summer kind of sermon series and and here we are. Now that being said... um, Often I know sometimes it feels like the preacher up here just sort of preaches whatever he wants, however he wants. Uh, But I really want you to know that if there's a subject that you want me to cover in sermons, if there's a book of the Bible that you want to know more about, I'm happy to to try and incorporate that into our our preaching schedule. So, that being said, the book of Ruth, chapter 4, verse 1, this is what God's Word says. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and sat down. Uh, Sorry, he said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then when he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belongs to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it. And I come after you, and he said, I will redeem it. So I'm going to let you know, straight off the bat, that it gets a little weird in this chapter. There's, there's some interesting stuff about sandals. We'll get there. But it's going to be different than almost the rest of the, the book of Ruth, This is a transaction. This is a contract, if you will. Now, it's actually very interesting to me um, the way that contracts were formed uh, in the nation of Israel. Uh, Back in these days, we'll get to the sandals, like I said, that was part of it. But you see that Boaz, when he's striking this agreement, doesn't go in one-on-one, so there's no, no one else there to verify the deal. He gets 10 men, 10 
And, and the key word is not just men, but elders. That means they were people of, of respect, of renown. It means that they were people who uh, people knew. You know the people that people know? You know, you say, oh, this is my friend so-and-so, and everyone's like, oh, I've heard of him. It, they're those types of people. And they, there's ten of them, which is a large amount because of the importance of this particular deal. He's sitting down and he's saying, you know what, I want all of these people to come to this one place so that we can agree on this once and for all. No one can say, I didn't say this. No one can say, I didn't do this. He's covering his bases. And oftentimes, uh, as Christians, we sort of take this attitude when it comes to business dealings. And I know he's talking about business. This is weird. We take this attitude when it comes to business dealings that we're supposed to be all, tr you know, we're trustworthy, we're good. But as Christians, we're also supposed to be shrewd. Not vindictive, not trying to take advantage of another person, but shrewd in our business dealings. We should be careful in our business dealings. We should be thoughtful in our business dealings. And Boaz here is actually setting a pretty good example of how to do it. Get multiple people in on it. Don't just be you trying to conquer the world. Get some friends who you respect. Get some people whose opinion you value. Bring them over and make the deal with everyone so that it's not just a one-on-one -on -one situation. Does that make sense? And so he's actually modeling something that I think is important for Christians to remember that when it comes to business dealing, you're not called to be the idiot. You're not called to be taken advantage of. You're not called to give up the kitchen sink in your business dealings, you were called to reflect the love of Jesus, to be honest, but also to be shrewd. None of that was in my notes, so you see how this could end badly for you, right? It's hot. Now, Boaz wants to, take, wants to marry Ruth, right? This is the setup to this particular story. We've read about it in the last three chapters over the last four weeks. Boaz wants to marry Ruth. However, Naomi has a kinsman redeemer that is closer than Boaz is. So legally and morally, he has to give this guy a chance to take care of Ruth and Naomi, the mother-in-law. And so to do so, because he wants to take care of Naomi and he wants to marry Ruth, what he actually has to do is, is knock off this guy out of the way and, and sort of come in over the top, but he wants to make sure that he does it right. And it's very important that he wants to do it legally. Uh, a, a lot of times you'll hear that the end justifies the means. It doesn't really matter how you get there because what, what is at the end is the most important. And I'm here to tell you that's not a biblical concept. The ends do not justify the means. The Bible over and over and over again tells us that the means are actually important. How you get to a place is important as the destination. Are you getting there? Paul says that when he gets to the end of the race, he wants to make sure that we've run the race well and run it with endurance, not just our Christian walk, but the way that we live and practice our lives. And what this means, and, and what I believe this means, is it doesn't just matter the destination. It doesn't just matter doing whatever you can to get there. What matters is the way you go about it. As Christians, are you showing love? Are you showing compassion? Are you putting your needs uh, above or below other people's? Boaz here is, is really demonstrating the right way to go about it. He wants to marry Ruth. He wants to get married. He wants to, to live a life and be happy, but he wants to do it the right way. So Boaz arrives at the city gate. Now, the city gate is the central place of business. Now, 
you and me, we would go to a coffee house, right? Uh, when we're, we're conducting business, I will take you out to coffee, I'll go to Starbucks. I think that is the, well, maybe Woods Coffee as well. Uh, that, that's the place of business, right? That's where we do business. We, we sit down, we have a conversation, and, and things get worked out. Well, in Boaz's time, that place to get things worked out was the city gate. You would go there and you would make uh, uh, business deals, business would get transacted, legal matters are settled, social relationships were established. Apparently, the city gate is the place to be in ancient Israel. And so Boaz goes to the city gate, he gets these 10 elders, and he goes to this relative and he says, hey, let's make a deal, All right? Verse five, then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, and you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. What he's saying is he doesn't have enough money. There is not enough cash on hand for him. So Naomi, when, uh, when her husband died, when her sons died, inherited a plot of land. It's not enough to survive, but it's the one thing that Naomi owns. And what would happen is the king's man redeemer would come in and he would purchase that land, uh, purchase Naomi, Naomi would become his wife, and they would suddenly become uh, a family unit and that land would go to the kinsman redeemer. But what he's saying is he doesn't have enough money to do it. He doesn't have enough reserved in the bank account. And here is another, so, uh, another message I believe uh, we can take away from this is have some money in a bank account for a rainy day because you never know when you're going to have to purchase a relative. <laughs> you never know when something's going to come up. Uh, too often, uh, let me put it this way, Jesus told a story about a, a man who, who stored all of this grain up and didn't share it amongst the people. And when he came time to die, he didn't get uh, access to all of his his grain, and, and, and Jesus was making a point that hoarding wealth is sinful. However, Jesus also told stories about using gifts and, 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 and planning for the future and making wise decisions. And listen to me very carefully. It, it's never a wise decision to have no resources. I love Jesus. I trust in Jesus. I believe that Jesus provides but part of that provision is the common sense, sense to know that if you live long enough, something is going to go wrong in your life. Something is going to happen to you that you need to be able to financially outlay some money. And, and what we're seeing here in this particular scripture is this guy has, has a scriptural obligation to put up this money and to buy Naomi from poverty. But instead, he doesn't have enough money. I want you to, to flip this scenario around. What if Boaz wasn't interested in marrying Ruth? What would happen to Naomi and Ruth? They would die from starvation, or they would be forced into prostitution. Now, I'm not saying this is your fault, but this still happens in the world. This still happens in many underdeveloped countries. People go in... They get people into debt, they loan them the equivalent of 20 American dollars, and then they own them for life, and then they own their families for life. And we see all across the face of the undeveloped world, people in perpetual slavery because they can't repay 20 bucks. Now, it's not, not bad for us here in America. It doesn't get that bad. But you can become enslaved to debt really easily in this country. 
We live in a society that is all about material possessions. We live in a capitalist society. And that works for us on so many, you know, it works as a country. It's fine. But I don't think it's the way that we as Christians should live. Valuing the next iPhone over helping people in need. I'm very proud of this congregation with the amount that we help other people. I think we can still do a better job because I think we can always, always do a better job. But you would, not, you would be amazed at the amount of people in this community that's come together to help. Uh, just an example, Camp Lummy. Camp Lummy has a special place in a lot of people's hearts. And because we ask, we have teams, practical armies of, of volunteers going out. This last Wednesday, we had 25 people going out to help clean up this camp. And you know, the, the reason they were doing it was because they know that that camp has the opportunity to help people in the future, to help the underprivileged. That's not a, a Christian organization, it was an insurance company. Sometimes it's a little bit embarrassing that an insurance company with no Christian affiliation, they might individually be Christians, but the company itself is not, that they sometimes do a better job of being the hands and feet of Jesus than the church does. So anyway, all that to, be, that to being saying, I am very proud of you. And if you want an opportunity to serve, this Friday at 6 o'clock, Christmas in July, it's going to be fun. Major's going to be playing her ukulele. It, you do not want to miss it, is all I'm saying, all right? This guy doesn't have enough cash on hand. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel. This is where it's going to get a little weird. Uh, there was a custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. What we're seeing is the, the, common, the, the person who's writing this um, actually breaks into the story to add a little bit of commentary because he knows this is going to mess people up removed from this particular tradition. Once this tradition goes the way of the dinosaur, he knows that people are going to come to this scripture and be like, why are they exchanging sandals? Like, I'm not going to go up to Brian and say, Brian, uh, we're going out to coffee. Here you go. Here's my shoe. That's, not going to, that's going to confuse both Brian and anyone that's around us. So the narrator sort of breaks into his narrative and sort of tries to explain this. Now, I know what your first question is. Does that mean there's a bunch of men walking around with mismatched sandals? That's my question. Now, this might be the dehydration talking, but I want to know these answers. When I get to heaven, I'm, I, I know it's not going to matter, but I have in my mind a laundry list of questions from Scripture that I'm going to ask Jesus. And I know I'm never going to get the opportunity because I'm going to be worshipping him, but come on. This is one of those questions. Why, why the sandal? What, what does that signify? What does a sandal signify? You know, without your sandals, without your shoes, you don't get very far in life. Now, this is this country. I know in other countries, some people don't have the opportunity to wear sandals all the time or shoes, and they make do. But in this country, if you took the shoes from your feet and tried to walk from here down to the corner gas station, I think you would make it out of the parking lot before you figured out that you needed shoes. The stones are really hot, especially today. They're sharp. You don't get very far without your shoes. I don't know really what this tradition is about. I'm not going to give you some deep insight into the, the culture of Judaism and why the sandal was so important. Why didn't they swap belts? Why didn't they 
swap t-shirts? Why didn't they swap hats? I, I don't know. But I tell you what, in this day when they would exchange shoes, it was recognized as legally binding. This was the same as someone writing a contract. Someone putting their name at the bottom of a piece of paper saying, I am going to do this. And I think what's really interesting about this is that Boaz is making sure that he does everything the correct and legal way according to scripture. Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Remember, their names mean sickness and death, right? Why would you name your child sickness and death? I don't know. That's another question. Put it on the list. Also, Ruth the Moabite, and this is the bit that Boaz really wants, Moab, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead and in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into, into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. So a lot just happened sort of in that particular passage. We'll just walk through it really quickly. In front of the ten elders, he said, this is the transaction. Look, I have a shoe. We're good here, right? And so because he has the sandal, they say, yeah, you've got the sandal. This is the deal. These people are going into your house. They're going into your care. They're going into your life and your home. They're going to be part of your family. I want you to pay close attention, if you will, to the fact that the name is really important. Part of this is to sustain the family line. Now, some of you may ask, why is the family line really important? We're going to get to that at the end of the scripture. This family line is the most important family line in the history of the world. This is not just nobody. This isn't like me saying, oh yeah, I can trace my genealogy back to the 1500s. I can, by the way, in case you're wondering. Woolen, it's a good name. What this is about is tracing a genealogy back to the Adam. These guys can trace a genealogical line, a hereditary line, all the way back to the first man. And it's really important, and we'll get there in a second. But he takes Ruth into his house. And this is another important aspect I, I want to take note of Boaz's culture. It says that he took Ruth as his wife, not just as property, not just as this is something that, uh, something that I can mount on my wall and have my friends over and say, hey, look what I got. He took her as his wife. Now, women in this culture publicly don't have a lot of pull and sway. Privately, in the house, they rule. I'm not sure if you know about, about much about Jewish women. In their households, they're the driving force. Um, the old, there's an old Jewish uh, saying is that the man is the head of the household, but the woman is the neck, and she can turn him at will. 
And it's very, very true in this particular time and culture that if you take someone into your house and you declare them to be your wife, that is elevating to them the point where you say that they're going to have an influence on the way that you make decisions. And I think too often men get really caught up in that, in that wonderful piece of scripture that Paul lays out that says, men, you're the head of the household. We get really caught up in that and, and, and we say, oh yeah, I've got the authority. Look, Paul says so right here. Submit, be, do this. But we ignore the rest of that particular scripture which actually begins with the phrase, be subject one to another. Actually, it says, be subject one to another as to the Lord. And then it says, women be subjected to your wives, for he is the head of the household. And then it says, men be subject to your wives. You notice what we like to do is just take that one phrase right in the middle of that particular bit of scripture and say, well, look, women, be quiet, do as you're told. No, it's in the middle of something. And I will submit to you that the most important part of that scripture is where it says, be subject one to another. It's talking to Christian brothers and sisters. It's a letter written by a Christian to the church. It's talking to Christians that you and I are to be subject one to another. And we don't like that word in today's culture, subject. When we think of the word subject, we think of maybe a monarchy. We think of the queen and her subjects, her being able to tell each other what to do. And I, I don't think that's the right interpretation of the word subject. What it means is for me to say to you, what can I do for you today? How can I help you today? It means that you're going to say to me, what can I do for you today? How can I help? I believe one of the most important things that we as Christians have missed is the idea that we can help one another, not just in our spirituality and our faith, which is important and we can, but in our material lives as well. When we're struggling, when there's a single mother here who needs just five minutes from relief, have you ever heard the term a, a fresh inning from a relief pitcher? Some people need that. Can you help? Can you be subject to your brothers and sisters as to the Lord? So Boaz took Ruth into his family, into his life, and they said to him, may you be blessed like Rachel and Leah. They had 12 kids, in case you're wondering. That's a blessing, apparently. All I'm saying is once the children outnumber you, give it up. Any, any parents with more than three kids, you know what I'm talking about. Once they outnumber you, you're in trouble. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord. I, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing either. It's, my head's gone. Just, just, let's just get through this for the next five minutes. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons. That's important. I wish each of you had a daughter who was worth more to you than seven sons. Someone who is there for you, who takes care of you, who loves you unconditionally. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. The name, uh, they named him Obed, who was the father of Jesse, the father of David. The rest of this particular scripture goes on simply to chronicle the genealogy of David. And if you know your church history and you know your scripture, you may know that David 
eventually would be the father of Jesus Christ. From the line of David came Jesus, which means from the faithfulness of Boaz in his, in his redemption of Ruth came the Messiah, the Savior of the entire world. Here's why I think it's really important for us today. You never know the fruit of your decisions. You never know the fruit of your faithfulness. You never know what's going to happen when you say to God, yes. Sometimes, as in some of the other sermon series that we've gone through, it will and can end badly for you. When you say yes to God, sometimes his plan is for the establishment to burn down and you to be left in the ashes. And that is hard and painful and difficult. But sometimes in Scripture, the blessing of God is a faithfulness that lasts for generations to come. In our church family, you all know that there's a lovely lady here who adopted a beautiful boy from overseas. The fruit of that act means that he's going to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He's going to be a Christian. And he's going to, I firmly believe, lead others to Christ and perpetuate salvation for them. That's a blessing. Too many times we walk away from the blessing of the Lord because it would be too difficult. Sometimes we walk away because it's too hard or it's outside of our comfort zone or we've never done it that way before. And I just want to encourage you as we finish our sermon series in the book of Ruth, as we finish today's sermon, I want to lift you up and encourage you that you never know what the Lord has for you on the other end of obedience. It could be more than you've ever hoped for or could possibly imagine. It could be everything you've ever hoped for or dreamed. God could have something amazing for you just at the other end, waiting. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for the book of Ruth. You've given us the opportunity as a congregation to walk through it and to see how your hand is evident in the life and the ministry of Boaz through his adoption and redemption of Naomi and Ruth. I pray, Lord God, that each one of us trusts fully in you and your amazing grace, that there is a greater journey for us on the other side of faithfulness. Lord, be with us now until we meet together again. I pray these things in your son's precious name. In the name of Jesus, amen.